Cougs house. All right, Houston Cougars finish off the season sweep of the UCF Knights. Let's break down how it happened and get to it. You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Lockdown Cougs, daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Andrews, here to break down all things Cougs. Now, if you're a U of H fan, if you're a hater, can you stop by, including that one from UCF that has apparently blocked me on Twitter, please be sure to hit subscribe down below. That way we get the latest on the Cougs to you each and every day. And we appreciate you making Lockdown Cougs your first listen of the day each morning. Uh Again, it's good to see you again on the YouTube channel. We are approaching 500 subscribers. We're over the 480 mark. I think we were at 482 last I saw. Remember, when we get there, Sparkle's going to help us out by gifting some things to people in a contest. To be entered in the contest first, we got to get 500 subscribers. So you guys subscribe below. And we also need to make sure uh, that we give it away to someone commenting. So be sure to comment and upload on videos to get yourself entered in said contest. If you can't think of anything to say about the UCF game, you feel like it's all been said in our conversation today, well, then you can tell me whether or not you like your pancakes or waffles, whichever one you liked in the other day's video. Do you like them dry, like kind of almost like plain, or absolutely drenched in syrup? Now, in today's episode, it's going to be talking all about the UCF game, and then the first two segments will kind of be over some uh, tips of the cap to those guys that played well in that game. Second segments, we're kind of looking at like a key schematic difference, I think, that really, really helped the Cougars in that basketball game. And then the third segment, we kind of look across the country and see how the rest of the country is stacking up these days since Houston lost to Temple on Sunday and how the last couple days of basketball have gone and where that f- fits Houston in. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. More on that later, uh, but we are really excited, locked on, to talk about our new buddies at FanDuel. So I feel like I had to get that in once early on. All right, first tip of the cap is going to go to uh, Jarris Walker. Now, tip the cap, Jarris Walker. Um, now, Jarris had a great, great game, 17 points on just 10 shots, played 35 minutes in this one, played just 19 minutes the first time these two teams met. So a lot of growth out of him, kept himself on the floor, stayed out of early foul trouble, and earned the minutes while he was out there, right? He also had four rebounds, three assists, and one steal, one big block, and then that block led to Later, where we had a deterrence at the rim, uh, UCF was going up for a dunk, and just Walker's presence made the guy double clutch dunk and miss a dunk short off the front of the rim in a way I don't know that I've ever seen before. Walker was everywhere. He was tremendous in this game on Wednesday night. Uh, Jamal Shedd with a double-double, 14 points, 10 assists, played 36 minutes, shot the ball just nine times, had one steal. Um, really, really impressive outing, efficient outing from Jamal Shedd. Uh, he got in the paint more or less, whenever he wanted to. Um, Darius Johnson did play in this game. Uh, that was kind of a question mark for UCF coming in. And it was basically, they're going to try and put Johnson, their better guard, now that he's healthy and back, on Sasser. And that meant that Shez was getting the paint whenever he wanted to. There was no big Michael Durr down there, uh, injured big man for UCF that was there in the first contest. So whenever Shed got in the paint, he was able to distribute in those 10 assists. Really, really important, especially when you factor in, like, um, he got hot at the end of the game, hit a crazy three uh, at the end of a shot clock. But on the whole, his shots were otherwise completely in the flow. And by in the flow, I mean, it looked like they ran sets, ran sets in the last 10 seconds. Okay, 
your turn, Jamal, and Jamal would just break his guy off and go to the basket. Um, there was one ill-advised step back three, but outside of that, really, really impressed by his performance. Marcus Sasser in limited minutes because of foul trouble played just 25 minutes, usually getting closer to 35. He had 14 points on seven shots. You heard that right. 14 points on seven shots. He was three of five from three point land um, and had 14 or had four assists to go with it. Um, the team really, really jealous when he is kind of got it rolling. And I know that sounds really obvious. Like, of course, when your best player's got it rolling, the team gels. But um, when Sasser hits two or three of those, like, oh my God, he's a pro, kind of moves in a row, suddenly the entire team goes, okay, we got this one, right? Um, he opened the game three or three from behind the arc. And I liked both his looks later on. It's like he'd kind of been sitting too long with that foul trouble. Um, his best move of the night, though, was around the 12-minute mark. Um, he pulled a little hesitation dribble, crossed back right to left at the top of the key, attacked the rim, uh, big stepped up. He euro steps around him to his right, uh, full-on finger roll from like belly button out extended, uh, scoops it up off the glass with the and one layup. Big-time play at a big-time moment when Houston was kind of pushing their lead out to 10 um, that's not to say that didn't shrink at one point and get back down to him like four or five. And then Houston stretch it back out to 10. But that's a really, really key moment. And what felt like, oh, that Houston might blow this thing out to 20. Um, I want to give a shout out and a tip of the camp to, to Terrence Arsenault. Um, Terrence Arsenault. Uh, I gave two caps there because I didn't actually take one off for SAS. Um, Terrence Arsenault is a young freshman that only got 12 minutes, but he kind of did a lot of spot subbing for SAS with those fouls. The other part of this too is, um, Arsenal had one of the prettiest moves of the game and I appreciate that Houston when he was in there was trying to find ways to get him shots. There were multiple times where Houston run an action on the left side of the floor and run some back screens to kind of flare Arsenal out to the right side of the floor and one time it kicked out and he missed a three but it was a good shot. The next time it kicked out and he pump faked because the guy went flying on the three. One pound pull up. Another good look but he missed a shot. And the third time it went on consecutively but the third time they went to the set um, Arsenal was able to pump fake and kind of dance along the uh, baseline because he's a dodging his own guy that had set the initial screen on the flare out, right? He's tiptoeing the baseline for a reverse layup uh, and the entire crowd, you could see them go, oh, it was just like, whew, right with the gas and um, all the guys like hyped up at UCF because it was like, okay, if Houston's like seventh or eighth guy can do that kind of stuff, you're, you're in trouble, right? Um, really, really impressed by his play. He's also growing some on the defensive end. Um, and I'm going to be honest, I want to see him play more. I don't know what guard gets less minutes to do make it happen. I want to see him play more. Um, last of the cap, though, is going to go to Florida's very own Emmanuel Sharp. Now, Emmanuel Sharp, uh, again, from Florida originally, although we talked in a previous episode about how he's got this really cool story about getting uh, Israeli citizenship and playing in Tel Aviv and stuff like that, too. Um, he played just 23 minutes, but had a team high and I believe game high. Yeah. Uh, tied for the game high 18 points. Um, he was four, six in the three point line, four, four from the free throw line, three rebounds, one block. The biggest thing is, is that when he came in for Sasser, it felt like cause Sasser had the two fouls early. I was like, okay, this might get out of hand because the crowd was raucous. Um, Taylor Hendricks was playing out of his mind. The one and the soon to be one and done big star freshman at UCF, um, going to be a lottery pick himself in all likelihood, right? Um, big, uh, big crowd there. They said it was about nine thousand people crammed in that small stadium. Uh, loud, energetic. Houston's got the bullseye on their back, and Houston has every reason to feel bad about themselves going into that game, right? They just had a crappy game on Sunday against Temple. 
And Emmanuel Sharp comes in for Sasser. It's like, okay, Sasser's in foul trouble too. Like, how many things can you stack in the deck against you? And then it was like Sharp, like, pop, pop, pop. Like, and his threes weren't like at the line, catch and shoot, whatever. Like, his threes were coming off of screens, in action, completely moving, well, like three, four feet beyond the line. One or two was in the NBA range. And they were all great looks, all at least in and out, if not, obviously, uh, four makes. Really, really impressed by that. And then once he's hit a few, he had another great attacking of the basket off the bounce. Um, really, really impressed by his game so far. And as he's continuing to come back from that injury, remember he redshirted at Houston last year and was a December grad that enrolled in Houston in January because in December of what was that, 21, he had an awful leg injury, right? So he is just now a little over a year, like 13 months removed from a big time leg injury, a broken bone in the whole nine. And to have him back at this kind of speed, you're starting to see the defense pick up as well. Um, it's funny to watch him play defense. Uh, I think he looks like a, a Darren Williams type. He's like a stockier guard. Um, and he's clearly a point guard on the floor. I don't, he doesn't bring the ball because Jamal Shedd does, but like he can, and he, and he handles the ball in the half court like a point guard too. But his defense is the same, like super big chested arm stick out and his chest is just, getting pumped a, a lot of the time along the way. I'm really, really impressed by Emmanuel Sharp's game. Um, Sharp Shooter seems like too easy a nickname, but if you didn't like the pancakes waffle thing, tell us in the comments below what you think you would nickname Emmanuel Sharp. Now, in the second segment, I want to get into talking some about um, what exactly happened in the game schematically and why this one looked so much different than the first one. But first, I want to talk a little bit about our newest partners at FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here. And we're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today and get $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a bigger payout of the same game parlay. Um, so I told you guys leading up to the UH game that I was going to wait to talk about uh, pro football games later. Um, and so I figure let's talk about those pro football games later. Now, um, if I'm looking at this, I'm not going to act like you should take my advice every single time because admittedly, well, we've talked about this before, but um, like tonight, the uh, I guess yesterday, if you listen to this on Thursday morning, they had the UH game. Uh, the line was 10 and a half. And I said, take the under. I think this will be closer. And it ended up being 11 point win, right? Like they know what they're doing. They're, they're putting it right there up against the line. They've got the Eagles favored by two and a half at home against the Niners. The over under set at 46 and a half. My thought there is at some point a defense is going to get to Brock Purdy. Um, I guess you could argue Dallas did last weekend. I'm thinking Philly and that incredibly large defensive line gets after him. And I think Philly's offense offers more problems than Dallas's did, especially without Tony Pollard. And generally speaking, I think uh, less than three points. If, I, if I'm picking a team and it's less than three points, I'm taking them and the points. So I'm thinking Philly wins as a favorite here. Now, the over-under 46.5, that's when I kind of think I'm going under. And I know that San Francisco was just involved in a low-scoring game last week, and Philly just put on a bunch of points on uh, New York last week. And some people said, like, well, A, San Francisco bounces back, it probably breaks 46 pretty quickly, and B, if 
if Philly does like they did last week and no one bounces back, then it probably breaks 46 pretty quickly. I'm still taking the under there. I think there's going to be a defensive matchup in looking at the two rosters. Um, and then Philly's going to run the ball a lot. And I would imagine San Francisco does as well. That runs the clock a lot, takes out possessions. I'm going under there. The fun game to me, because I love watching Patrick Mahomes play, is that the uh, Bengals and Chiefs meet, uh, meet up in Kansas City. The Bengals are a one-point favorite on the road and the over-under set at 47.5. I'm taking the Chiefs, and I'm taking the over. I'm thinking this t- game is a like 45-38 to 38 kind of game. Like, I think this is a high-scoring contest and affair. I also think that the Chiefs can't lose four-in-a-row Bengals. I just don't see it happening. And call me a basketball guy, but when in doubt, with uh, Patrick Mahomes on one side, I'm treating him like Michael Jordan. So I'm taking him every single time. That's my opinion. That's what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you to do it at FanDuel Sportsbook. You can check out on your uh, mobile device or online at fan, uh, sportsbook.fanduel.com to learn more. Make sure you use code Locked On. Tell them we sent you. And you get $150 for your first $5 bet. $150 in sports bets for your first $5 bet at fanduel.com slash locked on. All right. So in the second segment here, um, what I do want to do is do a little bit of talk about like the X's knows what happened here because this game did look a lot different. Um, and I think it's interesting for a couple of reasons. One, Houston never really let their foot off the gas in a way that I kind of felt like they did in the first game. Um, and I wanted that's kind of a statement thing for them. But it was interesting that in a post game presser, uh, Coach Kelvin Sampson said that at the seven, uh, seven minute and five second timeout, the under eight timeout in the second half. He said that they had to stay aggressive, and he frankly got pissed, in his own words, at a couple of long, slow, clock-eating type possessions. Um, and he was quick to give Arsenal credit for the baseline move and those kind of things as well um, to keep the lead at 10. I thought that was an interesting move that Samson did not opt to because I watched the game and saw several possessions in the last seven minutes that Houston appeared to say, we're going to use the entire 30 seconds of the shot clock and see what happens. And that was not what Samson actually wanted, um, which again, I've, I've seen Samson coach long enough to know that when he doesn't get what he wants, he's going to get a little upset. But I also think that um, that's interesting because I had a problem with it too in watching the game and it's clearly not what he actually wanted. Um, but the coaching move that he made was actually much earlier and I think it had a really big impact on the game. And that's, he went to Jarris Walker hard, fast and early especially with Taylor Hendricks, the star freshman at UCF, on him. Now, he's Taylor Hendricks has done everything for UCF. He had 17 points, seven rebounds, a pair of assists, and four blocks tonight for the UCF Knights. Like Taylor Hendricks is that guy. He will be a top 15-ish pick. I bet he's a lottery pick by the time it's all said and done, especially if UCF gets to the tournament and, and you know has one or two big games there. But I will say that the move to go at him early was divergent from what Houston did in the first game, where in the first game against the Knights, Tremont Mark was that guy. If you remember, he opened up the game early because they were a little bit outside of Jawan Roberts. Uh, Hendricks and uh, Walker seemed to be kind of a wash. They decided the guards were on a speed thing, probably evenly matched, and Tremont Mark had the advantageous matchup. And so Houston tried to take advantage of the advantageous matchup. Tremont Mark opened up the game and 19 points, and the, or 19 points over the course of the game, uh, over the game with the first several baskets, really felt like his show, right? In this game, 
they didn't go with the advantageous matchup. They said, hey, tonight, our dude beats your dude. In the first four minutes, uh, Jairus uh, Walker had uh, two mid-range jumpers, two threes, a steal, and a dunk. That's five shot attempts. He he made two of the mid-ranges. Two, oh, sorry, he made one of the mid-ranges, made one of the threes, and obviously made the dunk. But that's five shot attempts in the first four minutes of basketball for a team with one of the slowest paces in all of college basketball. That's a complete change in what we've seen Houston do in many of their games. And they were running sets for him. And I think that's an interesting way to see and change up the, the mood and dynamic of the team. And because of that, whether, you know, you hear about it, frankly, at every level of basketball, feed the big man, he'll get involved early and he'll be stay involved late. Jared Walker was involved this entire contest. And the first time these two teams play, Jared Walker, Jared Walker kind of took himself out of it, right? Bad, blo- uh, bad attempts on blocking threes, got him foul trouble, but also just more more generally, other bigs came in and were more invested on the defensive end and more in like flying around. And Jairus Walker bluntly did not have a very good game the first time these two teams met. Using him early led to him being involved at all levels of the floor late. It was really, really impressive to see the way he flew around, um, including I thought one of the more um, timely plays was about midway through the second half. Um, Sasser is sitting with foul trouble because he was in foul trouble all night. And Houston gets the ball to Jamal Shedd on the wing. And Tremont Mark is on the block nearest Shedd. And Jairus Walker as I think, actually in the short corner opposite, but he might have been the block. And Tremont Mark, I can't hear what's being said, but there's like this clear nod. And Tremont Mark, I'm oh, sorry, it was, it was originally at the top, I guess, is sharp. Ball goes to Shedd on the corner in the slot. And Tremont Mark goes block to block to screen for Walker. Walker gets the ball at the, I guess, TV's camera's left block, takes a one-pound dribble, and goes up with a strong right-hand dunk on top of UCF for an and-one. Now, that kind of a thunderous play is the kind of thing that he can do against anyone in America. When he starts to unlock these kinds of things, it's going to be really, really special to watch him play. And I think he's the kind of guy that only gets better between, like, he's, he's 19. He continues to get better until he's, like, 30, right? He's going to be, like, so he's just, just going to grow and add things to his game. But in this instance, the growth and evolution we saw literally in that snapshot itself was an aggression to score that it was just phenomenal to see because Jairus has not had games where they're going to him in those spots as a score. Against Virginia, he was more of a creator, right, because of the way they played defense and their coverage. But that scoring with an – like he's gotten hot from three, he's gotten hot shooting, he's stretched the floor a lot. But thunderously dunking on top of people is just not something we've seen a lot out of Jairus. And it was a big, big moment, I think, for the teenage kid. Hopefully it springboards a big second half of the conference season um, because Houston's got some difficult ones coming up. Now, I will say that I think it's interesting to look at um, just, you know, watching him be a creator because there are moments tonight where Houston went small because UCF went small. Um, UCF went a lot of sets with a lot of stretches with Taylor Hendricks at the five. Um, again, Taylor Hendricks is a six ten guy. It's, you know, air quotes small, but he loves to play at the perimeter. And Houston's response was not to beat them up inside like it had been in the first matchup with a Javier Francis, a Reggie Chaney, a Juwan Roberts. But it was to stay outside, play five on five outside and let Jairus Walker play the five. And they played... Terrence Arsenault or Emmanuel Sharp or Javon Mark or Jamal Shedd or Marcus Sasser, some combination of those guards around him um, with Sharp and Mark being uh, 
thicker and longer. They can kind of get away playing a forward spot in these small lineups. And it was interesting to watch play out. And I have to say that that involves, if anytime you do that as a basketball team, it involves a lot of buy-in from your air quotes big guy. Now I know Jarris and uh, Taylor Hendricks are both actually very big basketball players, but it involves a lot of buy-in from those guys because playing the big is hard. You're battling, you're throwing your body around, you're getting you know elbowed in the rib cage and going through contact. All and like that's a lot of wear and tear for guys that can make their money playing out of the three point line, right? And um, you get that buy-in from Jarris late or in those stretches when you need it. A, when you have a team that's as well-coached as Houston Cougars are. But B, when you've shown him early, no, no, we're going to go through you. We we will go through you in this game. And I think that that was all an impact of that first couple minutes where it's like, Jairus, 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 right? Really, really interesting to see. All right, in the third segment, I want to do a little bit of talking about what the rest of college basketball looked like. Uh, but first, before we get there, I do want to wrap this one up by saying, the Houston Cougars win this game was really, really important to get back on track. Houston needed to get this game to A, continue to create some distance from themselves in the top of the American Athletic Conference, and B, um, if they're going to continue to fight for a one seed come March, they're going to need to stay kind of in the top two, three, four area of the AP poll if history tells us anything, and then win the American Athletic Conference tournament or do very well in it at the very least. And so to do that, they can't drop another one for at least a while. And I know they got some difficult ones coming up. Cincinnati comes to town on Saturday, right? Um, but a, a 10 point win on the road in a hostile environment with your best player in foul trouble. Like, I think that's a good mark. Um, and so Houston has earned the right to look abroad in the league. And so in our next segment, we are going to look abroad at what the rest of the league looks like. So in looking at abroad and what the rest of the league looks like, um, Obviously, on Wednesday night itself, the almost big story that happened was Alabama almost lost to Mississippi State. Um, bluntly, when I started recording this episode, um, it was, I think, Mississippi State had, had a, a slight lead. Um, and then Alabama stormed back to take a 66-63 to victory. Now, Mississippi State is flat bad. I don't mean that to say those guys aren't good kids aren't good but they're not good at basketball right and so that Alabama has struggled with them on a Wednesday night implies to me a that they're vulnerable for another loss again and b that you know the top three in this thing Purdue Alabama Houston is going to get all jumbled up again Purdue will lose a Big Ten conference game even if they haven't yet right um and worth noting the Big Ten as a game uh as a conference is fairly challenging. I don't know what you think about Michigan. Michigan and Purdue play Thursday night, right? So, like, it could happen within a few, within 12 hours, 10 hours of this getting posted, right? Of, of you listening to this, I should say. Um, Alabama almost lost on Wednesday night. Um, other things that happened on Wednesday night in the American, Temple beat South Florida. Um, Stemple, Temple is still a two-loss team, and the important thing there is if Houston were to drop one as a two-loss team, Temple would leapfrog Houston, because they currently have the tiebreaker, right? And so that's kind of important to kind of keep an eye on them. They beat USF in another close game in overtime. And USF has almost all of their game. They have two conference games so far. And they've played, I think, nine, if I count it correctly. Only two conference games thus far have been decided by more than three possessions. That's nuts, right? USF has been the wrong end of a lot of them. But USF is clearly a good team. They continue to play teams close. And so, like, that was a close game that people gave Houston a hard time about. But USF just played a lot of close games. Um, if we look back to last uh, to Tuesday night, um, the big story was Iowa State nationally beating 
Kansas State, Kansas State kind of had, you know, plucked at my heartstrings as they were like projected to be bought like the last team in the Big 12 and they were winning the conference there for a minute. Iowa State knocked them out. Iowa State does this where they, they beat teams above their pay grade, but also will drop one or two late. So I'm not worried about that from a national ranking perspective. Outside of the fact that it drops Kansas State down, I'm assuming by the next time the rankings come out. Um, and on Tuesday in the American Athletic Conference, Eastern Carolina beat Tulsa. Um, Tulsa has just one conference win, and it's looking like it's the bottom of the conference. Now, I will say, as far as our like uh, net rankings and stuff goes, Houston had a 39-point victory in the road against Tulsa, so they beat them like they should, I think is the best way to put that one. Um, but East Carolina, worth watching in that one. Um, just because it's an American Athletic Conference team, we haven't seen in a minute, um, obviously in a year. And, you know, they didn't beat them by 39, but they also beat Tulsa. They're not like some scrub or anything like that. And so something to keep an eye on for later this season. Um, no American Athletic Conference games Monday, but Monday nationally, the big story was Baylor beating Kansas for Kansas's third loss in a row. Kansas may end up losing a fourth one in a row. They got a tough one against Kentucky this weekend. Kentucky um, is shifting their point guard play. They went away from Severe Wheeler, Houston native, uh, and are looking more at Casey Wallace, who's also a Texan. He's from the DFW area. And I think what's interesting there is, is that um, Severe is more of an, a pass first guy. He led the, he led the sec and assist both at Georgia and Kentucky. Cause he was a Kentucky transfer from Georgia and case and Wallace is more of a score. And I think that that's kind of been the engine, of their offense and move. And while Kentucky may have been down early this season, they could very easily hand Kansas their fourth loss in a row for the first time in the bill self era. Um, so big one to watch there nationally because Kansas continues to drop down the polls and someone has to win the big 12. So we'll see what that looks like. Next year, I think it's us. And if you want to talk about what it looks like next year or any other thing about college basketball, Houston Cougars and football, basketball, whatever, the Rockets, Astros, um, Texans, sneakers, hip-hop, whatever you want to talk about, find me at Painsworth512, P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter, Instagram, and all your various social media handles. I'll be happy to talk all kinds of things with you. Thank you all so much for making us your first listen of the day here at Locked on Cougs. Uh, we appreciate you listening, subscribing, upvoting, and commenting. For your second lesson of the day, please go check out Locked On College Basketball. It's a national college basketball podcast with the Locked On Podcast Network, and they're Cougar-friendly. They love talking about the Cougs, and they like talking about these small mid-majors. Uh, their Tuesday, their Wednesday episode was actually talking about St. Mary's and Gonzaga in the West Coast Conference. You remember the St. Mary's that we beat? Well, they may end up being a tournament team. So go check that episode out and listen to Andy and Isaac do a great job with Locked On College Basketball. Locked on Cougs is a proud member of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Go Cougs.